Be good. Okay, the story <laughs> begins. The story continues. We're continuing chapter 40. We've been <clears throat> walking a fine balance between trying to understand what the primary focus of Judaism is. On the one hand, we, um, several chapters ago, starting from chapter 35, we've been saying that the primary focus of Judaism is action, behavior. Get the action done, do the mitzvah. And the reason is because action, as opposed to passion, focuses not so much on ourselves about how we feel and how we experience, but what our mission is. And that's what incorporates God within this world. This is what fulfills our mission. This is how we fulfill the world. And passion, namely love and reverence, was seen as a means to an end, a means to motivate us to action. Action is the end, passion is the means. And then we open the whole new can of worms in chapter 38, several chapters ago, discussing the importance of kavana, intention, passion, love. And mitzvahs actually need passion. Mitzvahs actually need intention, need kavana. There's another word for it, consciousness. No, what's the other word we, had, we were using? I don't know. Okay, we're just going to use the, kavana, the word kavana. Mitzvahs actually need kavana if we want to actually experience the mitzvah, which is important. It's part of God's will. A mitzvah brings God's will down into this world. And a mitzvah with passion enables us to experience how it's actually the divine will. It helps us connect to it on an experiential level. And even if we're not going to experience it now, it's going to help us experience it later. Um, so does an, is a mitzvah integral? Sorry, is the kavana integral? Is it crucial? Yes. Is the mitzvah dependent on it? No. Right, according to Jewish law, if you did the action and you didn't have passion, you didn't have interest, you didn't have kavana, intention, okay, the deed is done though. You did it. You got you did what you needed to do. If the person, if the poor person got the money he needed, he ate, <laughs> you did what you needed to do. But in order to on a subjective level experience it as the divine will, right, to enter the holy of holies with it, so I could experience that light in order to elevate it, I'm going to need Kavana. The end of our chapter provides for us a beautiful analogy. It really is a beautiful analogy, a halachic analogy to simulate the, uh, and help us understand the balance between passion and action and the role they both play in our service to God. And this is going to be relevant not only in our relationship to God, but actually in any relationship that we have. Because it's going to help us understand what the role of action is, 
what the role of passion is and how that plays in relationships. Take a look on page four, um, where are we? 481. The analogy that is given for love and reverence. Anybody know? What is the analogy? The analogy that we give for love and reverence are wings. That's what the Zohar says. That's what Kabbalah teaches us. Kabbalah teaches us that love and reverence are like wings because they help the bird, which is the deed, soar. Helps elevate the experience. Imagine a bird with just wings and no actual body. You have an elevated experience, but you don't have anything to experience. Right, it wouldn't really work. Take a look on 481. Um, it's the top of the page. So the bottom of the page, under that line there is the note, the author's note, and we're, we're, we're going to be skipping those for now. Maybe at our second time around. <laughs> Based on all of this discussion in chapters 35 through 37 about the importance of the mitzvah act and the discussion from chapter 38 up until this point about the value of kavana. We can explain well the metaphorical depiction of reverence and love as wings of a bird. Right? Take a look on 485. According to Jewish law, if you have, you know, when a bird was brought as an offering to God in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, it had to be a complete bird. It had to be whole. It couldn't have any broken bones. It couldn't have any blemishes. Yet, if the bird was missing wings, it was still deemed to be halachically kosher. But were you to show up to the Beit HaMikdash with a pair of wings, and no bird, that's not a kosher bird. How are you going to slaughter a pair of wings, right? So similarly, we show up with action and unfortunately we're missing passion, we're missing the wings. The bird is still there, it's kosher. You did what you needed to do. Were you to show up with just love and passion and then I'm inspired. But I don't do anything about that inspiration, right? There's wings, but there's no birds. So I'm elevated. But what is elevated about me? It's not considered a kosher bird. It doesn't count. If I love giving charity, but I don't actually give the charity, it doesn't work, right? I'm using charity as an example, but it's with any mitzvah. If I don't like giving charity, but I give the charity, ideally, I should give charity and I should want to give charity. In the most ideal state, God wants us to do mitzvahs and he wants us to want to do mitzvahs. But if we don't want to do the mitzvahs, do the mitzvah anyways. And if you want to do the mitzvah and you don't do the mitzvah, it's like that bird with no, it's like that, it's like a pair of wings with no bird, right? Let's take a look on 485. For just as, it, it's the bold paragraph. Uh, on top of the line. 
for just as a bird's wings are not a crucial life-sustaining part of their body. As the Mishnah indicates that if a bird's wings are removed, it is not considered to have suffered a life-threatening injury and is kosher. The main part of the bird being its head and the rest of its body apart from the wings. Next page, 486. This is important. The wings merely serving the head and body to let them fly. Likewise, metaphorically speaking, we see a similar relationship between the act of a mitzvah, the body, and the kavana, its wings. I just want to zoom in on that line on the top of the page. The wings are serving the body. The body is not serving the wings. Right? Love and fear, in a sense, are there to serve us. We're not serving them. We can't worship love. <laughs> worshiping love is not, what we're saying here is worshiping love essentially is not a Jewish value. Worshiping love is an important, love, let me take a step back. Love is an important value in Judaism. But worshiping the love, as opposed to worshiping with love, are worlds apart. Make sense? Any questions, thoughts? Can anyone think of an example? The the worshiping the love is like the uh, the the bird without the wings. Exactly, it's like showing up and saying, "I have a pair of wings here." It's not. It doesn't really. Um, unless they're buffalo flavored. No. <laughs> I have an example I've told you about before. Um, I, I, I told you I dial into these daily hezip calls, mm -hmm. and um, they're every morning at ten a.m. and some days of the week, I, I want to do, I want to dial into the call. It's just, they say a rabbi from somewhere around the country, he gives a, you know, five to 10 minute like sermon. And then we say three to him. It's just all like, you know, to get past the pandemic. It's like everybody joining saying to Tehillim. Okay. So that's the goal. So, uh, so my main part, if nothing else, I want to be able to say to Tehillim with, with the, you know, few hundred people are on the phone at the same time. But some days I have a meeting. And so there's like three combinations. Some days I have a meeting and the rabbi that's doing the Tehillim, he's going at a good pace. We get through it nice and fast. Some days I have the rabbi who's got lots of passion, lots of kavana, and he's singing every word very nuanced. And I have to get you to don't this get meeting. The well, I'm always this close to hanging up on the phone because, you know, if, 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 if they call on me in this meeting, I, I can't interrupt. So I, I can't interrupt to tell them, right? So, I mean, I'm done. So I have to uh, end the call and pay attention to the meeting. But if they do it fast, then oh, that's great. Then I can hopefully get through before they call me in the meeting. But then the other situation is sometimes the, I don't have a meeting, I'm very relaxed and the rabbi is very fast. So 
this is why I bring up this example. In that situation where I, I'm relaxed, rabbi's going fast, I'm still okay with that because I'm still getting the, I don't know if it's really a mitzvah, but getting the, the action done that I want to do. Or right. Called in. And in other words, kavana is there to enhance action, not replace it. Yeah. Or not so, come at the expense of it. So when, when, when the rabbi's on there with too much kavana, it's going at the expense. I'm sure I'm not the only one on that call that might have to hang up before we ever get to the Tehillim reading. Right. Right. Okay. Great. No, great example. Kavana, love, reverence, our feelings are there to serve us, serve the mitzvah. We can't worship them. Yeah. And, and actually going back to my example, there's also the days that are more relaxed and, and I get the rabbi who's got the kavana, then it's like, then it's all good. I mean, I'm still, I'm getting to say to tell him and there's kavana. Right. Right. And that, that's the ideal is to have a bird with wings. Ideal is mm -hmm. to have a bird that can fly, to have the best of both worlds, to have a mitzvah, to have God's will, but to be able to experience the meaning, the meaning and beauty of it. That would be in the in the most ideal world. And it and it's, now, it oh sorry. I, I was gonna mm -hmm. say it seems like we even kind of have this uh, um, a similar thing going on between the week and the uh, and Shabbos. So I was once uh, staying with a family in Crown Heights and I went with um, the uh, the husband of the family to, to seven seventy. And he told me, he, he said, he, he would call me by he, my Hebrew name, Hillel. He'd say, Hillel, don't, don't wait for me if, if, if the services are done and it, it's time to go back, um, to, you know, for Kiddush at his house, just go ahead without me. I thought, does he know who he's talking to? I'm like one of the slowest people. <laughs> but he wasn't kidding. He was like already getting into like 1.30, you know, mo most everybody there was already leaving and he was still what he told me later was during the week, he's, he's very fast. He's, he's how I am in, in these, um, his calls. I want everything right. to be very fast because he's got business. Got somewhere to be. But he, he always would make a point to make up for it on, uh, on compensate Shabbos. on Shabbos. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very practical. Very practical. Amazing. Sharon, you had a question. Yeah. Uh, just thinking, you know, like um, in terms of having kavana. So if you do the mitzvot and you and you you do the mitzvot, but there's sometimes where you can't have the passion and the meaning of it. Like as in John was saying, there's there's times that you have to just get the job done. Then you can't you you say don't love it and don't so you can't disappoint yourself by saying because you've just done it. So it's like um because you can't love the the love of it. You can't the passion of it. You have to love, just do the mitzvot. And if you do have the passion, then elevate it. But it's all about the mitzvah anyway. It's not about loving what you do. If you can, it's good, but it doesn't actually matter. Exactly. In other words, I put, put it this way. If I love it, if, if, I, if I'm focused on the action, it's about God. Yeah. If I'm focused on the passion, it's about me, how I feel. And ideally, we want to bridge the two worlds. To totally connect us to God. But there are going to be times where we're going to have to make a choice. 
Yeah. Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about God? And ideally, we want it to be about both because that's the best relationship. And if we know, have, yeah, what? And to, to know it to be elevated and to know that passion is it's disappointing if you don't have it on another occasion. But it doesn't actually matter because you're doing it to to be about God. Exactly, exactly. And then later on, like uh, like John was saying, maybe on Shabbos or whatever it is, you'll have kavana. And like we said earlier, when you do things without kavana. It takes one, all you need to do is put the, the front of the train back on track and it's going to pull the whole past back onto the right track. So when we do have Kavana, it's going to pull everything back on track. It is another, another way of putting this um, to speak about emotion and thinking. There, there was a Hayom Yom a day or two ago that mentioned, mentioned actually about Chabad that Chabad's approach compared to other Hasidic groups is the, um, make sure I have it right, more thinking approach, whereas other Hasidic groups are more involved in the emotion. Right, right. And, and that kind of goes back to the different types of Kavana. Is it, am I just inspired because of my environment or am I working to develop the inspiration and feeling on my own? And which one is going to be more sustainable? And then we'll talk about the different types of kavan and how and those and, and the different avenues to get there. But take a look on page four eighty-eight. He has a little question here. What do you? What? How can we? How can you say that the mitzvah is better than kavana than love and reverence? If you know, action is better than passion if passion itself is a mitzvah, right? We say in the Shema, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Passion is a mitzvah. So what do you mean that passion, mitzvah, action is preferable to the passion or the passion is what is also God's will, right? Take a look at 488 in the bold, all the way on the top. Now, even though reverence and love themselves count as two of the 613 mitzvahs, top of 489, implying that they are not mere wings to another mitzvah, a means to an action, a means to an end, but actually mitzvahs in their own right. Nevertheless, and this is powerful, nevertheless, even though they are enumerated as separate mitzvahs, it's appropriate to call them wings. And I underline this next line in my book because I think it's just so powerful because the point of love is not love per se, but worship coming from love. The purpose of love is what it leads to. The, the root word of the Hebrew word love is hav. Ahava, which means love, its root is hav, which means to give. It's another way to say action coming from passion. Exactly, exactly. Ahava, love, comes from the word hav, which means to give. In other words, the essence of love is what it motivates me to do, what it motivates me to give, to contribute. Is that your wife's name also? <laughs> Chava. I was thinking that with, too. With a ch. <laughs> the, the analogy that that is given is, you know, electricity. 
Electricity will power the lights in your home, will power the refrigerator, will power all sorts of things. But the electricity, the energy needs to be channeled properly. Which means you can have a light bulb and you can have electricity and your electricity can be running and you could be billed for that electricity and it still might not be powering your light bulb if it's not being channeled correctly. Love is that electricity, that passion. But it's important that we channel it to action, to service. Now, the truth is there actually are two types of love. And in various Hasidic discourses, um, these are discussed at length, and we're going to discuss them more at length later on in Tanya, but he mentions them here briefly, that there actually are two types of love. The first type of love is the love we've been discussing, love that is functional, functional love. In other words, the love serves as a function to motivate action. The second type of love is referred to on the third paragraph or second bold paragraph of 489. It's called the pleasurable love. A rare type of love of God, and it's rare, and we'll soon see why, which is an end in itself. This type of love is not actually a means, but it's an end. Without leading to worship is a pleasurable love, which is to take pleasure in top of 490, God, in a way that is a foretaste of the world that is coming, basically of the Messianic era. So it's not really worship, but rather the reward received for worship performed already in this world. This is a very rare love. Most people aren't going to experience this. There are times, and truth is we might experience this on a more microcosmic level, but there are times where we're inspired and that inspiration is supposed to motivate us. And then there are other times where we did what we needed to do. And now we're just experiencing. We're experiencing appreciation and just, I love being Jewish. I love my relationship with God. I love my relationship with my family. And it's not, what are you going to do with that love itself? It's just an experience, a rewarding experience. That's a higher level of love to achieve. Um. And it's not as common. It really isn't as common. It, this is referred to as a reward in the world to come. But the truth is, it's not our focus. Our focus is not achieving that love. It will come. When Mashiach comes, the Messianic era, when God is revealed, we are going to experience that. But our focus now is, this is the world of action. The world of service. So the love that we usually are going to feel actually should lead to some sort of service, some sort of action, some sort of behavior. So, so if you do the mitzvah with love, then you will repeat it because of the love that, because it gives it impetus and it gets it. So every time you do a mitzvah, you need to do it so that you can repeat it. And that's why you need the love to give it wings. Yeah, right, exactly, to experience it. And eventually when we experience it, that's, that's kind of, that's why it says the reward for a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Yeah. Meaning the experience of the mitzvah, the experience of the connection. And those are the two different types of loves. One love is a motivation 
One love is an experience and the motivation through, if it motivates action properly, will lead to the experience. What's interesting is if you read the Shema paragraph, the first paragraph of the Shema, it says you should love God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might. And then it enumerates various mitzvahs. The mitzvah to recite the Shema, the mitzvah to study Torah, the mitzvah to hang a mezuzah up, the mitzvah of tefillin. It enumerates mitzvahs right after the mitzvah of love, implying that what is this love supposed to lead to? The love of the Shema is supposed to lead to action, supposed to lead to deed. The second type of love that we've mentioned here, which is more an experience, which is experiential, pleasurable love, that's something that we should be careful to not worship. That's essentially what we're saying here. We can't worship the reward, right? What happens when people worship a reward? Think about a, a relationship, a marriage. What happens when people worship love in a marriage? Who are they essentially worshiping? Themselves. Right. That's not to say that love shouldn't be present. It's not to say that a relationship shouldn't be rewarding. But it can't be worshipped. It should motivate worship. But it shouldn't itself be worshipped. Take a look on four, bottom of 490. Towards the end of the chapter. Because this is, this is powerful right here. It's a little bit of, um, it's intense, but it's powerful. The, the third, it's the last bold paragraph above the line. So it's the middle of the page on 490. But any person who has not reached this level to taste something of the world that is coming, the pleasurable love, and instead of actually experiencing the taste of God with a pleasurable love, 491, his soul longs and thirsts for God from a distance languishing for him all day. And instead of the love motivating him to worship God and study Torah, this person doesn't quench his thirst for the waters of Torah available to him. Then he's like someone who stands next to a river and cries out, water, where is water to drink? The lower level of love that we're talking about, which is more a motivational love, is a lot louder than the pleasurable love. Because it implies that I'm further and it needs to push me to get closer. And the water, the resources are right there. I'm thirsty. I want water. Well, it's right there. Passionate about God. Great. Let's study some Torah. Let's do something with that passion. I'm excited about my Judaism. I'm proud to be Jewish. Good. Before the moment flees, let's do something with that inspiration. In other words, we can't just be satiated with feelings. We have to be, feelings are important. I'm not, God forbid, negating the importance of feeling in Judaism. Much of Tanya is focusing on our feelings. But the feelings have to be, have to lead to concrete action, to concrete behavior. 
to actually motivate something. I'll tell you a great story I just read. Who remembers Simchas Torah and Chabad at the Tri-Valley? Pre-COVID, right? BC. Oh, for me, that's a lot of years because I kept going down to Irvine. So I'm sure it's similar in Irvine. Simchas Torah at Chabad at the Tri-Valley is very different than a regular Shabbos. Right? How would you describe it? Uh, a lot of energy. Okay, not- good. What? Not- okay, good. There's energy. There's lachayim. Good. It's dancing. Mm-hmm. There's dancing. Sense there's of passion. elevation. Elevation. Good. It, it, there's a certain elevated joy, elevated energy that you wouldn't feel on a regular Shabbos. Now, I want you to take a step back, though. And imagine what it was like in 770 Eastern Parkway. Oh my gosh. With the Lubavitcher Rebbe there at the Simchas Torah celebration. You're in a room, just try to imagine this. And for those of you who have been to 770, you'll have a bit of an easier time imagining it. You're in 770 Eastern Parkway, Chabad World Headquarters, a room that can legally fit 500 people, comfortably fit 900 people, and somehow 5,000 people ended up in there. <laughs> well, that's also like that Perke Avos. Uh, right. When they were in Jerusalem, they were able to nail. and. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So miraculously, there's 5,000 people in there. And there's the singing, there's the dancing, there's the lachaims, there's the joy, there's the movement, there's the energy. Imagine what it's like at that experience. And those who were at that experience, who have been there, can describe it to you. It's incredible. Perhaps unimaginable. Perhaps almost unreal. It was immediately, and by the way, what time do you think the, the, um, the Simchas Torah celebration finished in the evening? Uh, it finished on Pesach. Probably it was closer to the it was closer to the morning. It wasn't like okay, it's nine o'clock, let's go home. It was, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. It's late. After a whole night of dancing and intense joy. And there were some yeshiva students who, I guess, were um, a little nosy, and they wanted to see that at, after the celebration, what was the Lubavitcher up to. Lubavitcher Rebbe goes to his study, to his office, closes the door. And remember the old-fashioned keyholes? Yeah. Right? So they decided, let's take a peek. What's going on? Is he going to sleep? What's... These two students record that they're looking, they tell over that they're looking through the keyhole to see what the Rebbe is up to. He has a volume of Talmud open. Studying Talmud with fervor, with passion, with intensity. The joy, the love, the experience that was developed on the Simchas Torah celebration with thousands of people. What did the Rebbe do with that passion? What did the Rebbe, how did the Rebbe channel that passion? It mm-hmm. wasn't to his Funny. pillow. Right. It was to Torah study. In other words, it's not just about feeling the joy. Now, feeling the joy is important. 
and allowing ourselves to experience Judaism in a very beautiful and meaningful way. And if you were just to walk out and reminisce on that experience, that itself might be a holy thing. But it's not the point. Right? I'm not, it's not a bad thing. Wings and inspiration, love, it's not a bad thing. It's not the point. The point, though, was how that energy, how that passion is channeled. Now, in 770 Eastern Parkway, the way you get that passion is by showing up. <laughs> How do we develop that passion though, on our own? That is what the, um, the next coming chapters are going to introduce us to. How do we develop those chapters without just showing up to a location? So it's intentional, not just situational. It must be like, it must be hard to generate that energy because there, I mean, you, you've experienced something that you've lost if you know, if you don't have it anymore. It, it's going to be different. It's definitely it, going to be different. So it won't be as strong, meaning, but it'll be more meaningful because you developed it. Yeah. Well, the, um, this year with COVID was a good example of that. Past years on Simfatora, we had, you know, full, full experience and then this year was was different. Right, right. And, you know, we're going to, without the training wheels, you might not at first ride as well, but it's you that's riding. Right? In other words, when we have to develop the passion on our own, develop the kavana on our own, not just situational kavana, it's going to be a lot deeper. And chapter 41 will introduce us, and we're going to discuss several methodologies, but chapter 41 will introduce us to um, our first of methodologies and how to um, develop that kavana. That's my story.